Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Inspiring you to bring God back into the conversation of the day. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. to Mornings with Carmen. It is the 24th of November. It is a Taste and See Tuesday. I want to encourage you to taste and see that the Lord is good. I had a friend who uh, texted me that um, she has experienced the uh, the loss of taste and had not actually considered um, how valuable that gift was, something that uh, made her list of things I've taken for granted uh, that now I will take for granted no more. So there you go. Uh, the ability to taste and the ability to see uh, are incredibly great gifts of God. Uh, and so let's, uh, let's treasure them. Okay, I had a conversation with an 82-year-old friend uh, about the election. She was trying to wrap her mind around how tens of millions of people could have voted the way they did. Obviously, she voted differently than um, tens of millions of voters. Now, that is going to be true of lots and lots of people. Okay, so more than 70 million people voted in a way different than 70 million other people. So maybe this uh, touches you today. Um, Here was her summary statement to me. What are they thinking? So here, um, here's how I tried to suggest to her what they were thinking. And I will tell you that because my answer was dependent on Uh, lots of conversations and lots of reading related to why people think the way they think, it occurred to me it might be helpful for us to have a brief conversation about understanding literally what other people think by becoming students of what they are reading. And so this headline caught my attention this morning, want to understand Biden voters? Here's your reading list. Now, if you were to turn the clock back Uh, for years, you could have absolutely read similar articles written from, you know, the other side of the aisle to the other side of the aisle. Want to understand Trump voters? Here's your reading list. Here's what's curious about this exercise. I'm going to read part of the uh, opening paragraph of this uh, Washington Post opinion piece. What makes them tick? Is it culture, tribalism, race? How did they come to their worldview? And why do they cling to it so passionately? Uh, What do they mean and what does it mean for the future of American democracy? That uh, is a paragraph or a partial paragraph that could have been written about either side of any aisle trying to understand the other. And what the opinion writer here then offers is basically a reading list. And um, it simply leads me to the observation that what we are reading forms the way that we are thinking. And so if you want to understand someone, ask them what they're reading. Also ask them what they're streaming and what's on their playlist. And then if you genuinely want to understand what they're thinking, you are going to have to read what they're reading, watch what they're watching, and listen to what they're listening to. 
You're going to have to become a student of someone if you want to genuinely understand them. Uh, And so if you want to understand me or if someone wants to understand me, they're going to need to read uh, the Bible. Uh, I would encourage them to start in Romans and then Ephesians and Philippians, Luke, the Corinthian correspondence, John, like, right? Uh, Read over my shoulder. You would be reading right now uh, Deeper Discipleship by J.T. English. You would be reading the 25 Days of Christmas Advent, the Advent devotional by Joshua and Christy Straub. You would be reading the Tennessee Driver's Ed book, because that's what I'm reading with Matthew. You would be reading Francis Schaeffer's True Spirituality, which I'm rereading with Jim. You would be reading the Gospel of Luke, which I am set to begin reading with the Faith Radio family on December the 1st. Um, So what are you reading? And how is what you're reading influencing how you think and then how you engage the world? I mean, if we want to cultivate and apply the mind of Christ to the matters of the day, then we have to be reading the Word. We have to be in the Word. We have to be soaking and saturating our lives in the Word, the very Word of God, which is why I ask every single day, where in the Word are you today? My 82-year-old friend threw up her hands, what are they thinking? I throw up my hands every day and plead with you. Where in the word are you today? Because if you want to start thinking about what you're thinking about, and you want to be influencing the world in the direction of a redemptive biblical worldview, then you have to be thinking the thoughts of Christ, every thought captive to Christ. And the only way that happens is for our minds and our lives to be saturated with the scriptures. So that when the world squeezes us, and it does, and it will, what comes out is the very Word of God. So I'm going to encourage uh, us to show some curiosity today in our conversations. Ask other people what they're reading. Ask them what they're streaming. Ask them what's on their playlist. It will give you a window into why they think the way they do. Next up, Dr. Jeff Barrows from the Christian Medical and Dental Association. We'll be right back. All right, returning to an ongoing conversation that we have with the Christian Medical and Dental Association today with Dr. Jeff Barrows. Welcome back, Jeff. Well, good morning, Carmen. Good to be with you again. It's great to have you here. Um, Okay, so you guys at CMDA have... um, issued a statement pleading with church people and churches to stay home. Let's talk about that. Yeah, as you well know, Carmen, uh, CMDA occupies a very unique position, especially in this pandemic, because on the one hand, we're a membership organization that's made up of healthcare professionals uh, and in many ways fighting this pandemic. And on the other hand, we are an association of healthcare professionals that are absolutely dedicated to the Lord Jesus Christ. So in that unique position, our leadership felt that we we should not stand by the sidelines uh, and watch as this virus continues to surge again. And we felt felt a responsibility to 
to really begin to speak into it because we have members that are fighting on the front lines in emergency departments and urgent care centers and ICUs, the whole gamut. And so we we also recognize as an organization that there's a lot of division, and, and frankly, we're disappointed in that, the division between churches in, in terms of how to respond. Uh, many are, are staying open in spite of the number of cases. So we made the decision uh, in the past week uh, to to issue a, a plea to churches, and and of course we're we're speaking broadly because there are some churches that happen to be located in areas where a surge is perhaps not happening, and the healthcare system is not being stressed all that much, and 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 that's fortunate for them. But as your listeners well know, there's so many places around the country where. Uh, the, the surge is very real. Uh, the hospitals are beginning to fill up. ICUs are filling up. We're talking to members that are working far beyond their normal hours. They're they're begging people, please stay home. And so we we issued this plea, and 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 of course uh, we we are in no position to tell churches what to do, but we can certainly make recommendations. And our recommendation is that that they strongly consider going virtual for a temporary period of time uh, to, to take the stress off of their healthcare system, especially if they're in an area where there is a strong surge of the COVID virus, and just do it temporarily. And, and the, the other thing I would want to say is that our motivation for that is the second greatest commandment, love our neighbors as ourselves. It's not in obedience necessarily to the government, but rather out of love, for our families, for our neighbors, uh, for loved ones that are at high risk, that that we take this, uh, it's, it's a sacrifice, and, and and move from in-person meeting to a virtual meeting. All right, if um, you guys can read about it, uh, NPR has covered it as well as it being available at cmda.org in terms of. Um, you know, the encouragement to consider what we are doing personally and then what we are doing uh, collectively as congregations in this season. Jeff Barrows and I will be taking a very brief break. When we return, we're going to talk about a number of COVID headlines. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. with Dr. Jeff Barrows uh, from the Christian Medical and Dental Association. Jeff, let's talk about a range of other COVID headlines. Um, There are lots of directions we could take this conversation, so I'm going to actually let you lead off. Which one of the COVID headlines do you want to start with today? Well, I think one of the common things that we're hearing from our members and questions has to do with the the ethical basis or the ethical questions surrounding the various vaccines that are now coming out. And as mm. your listeners know, uh, there have been now three that have announced their their efficacy, uh, and that is the Pfizer vaccine announced initially a 90 percent and then, then upped it to 95 percent. Moderna last week came out uh, as well with a 95 percent uh, efficacious rate, and just yesterday, AstraZeneca came out with uh, actually two different rates because they used two different doses, but an average efficacy rate of about 70%. And there has been a lot of information on the internet about the the association of several of these vaccines with 
fetal cell lines that were derived from an abortion or two abortions many decades ago. And so this raises questions among our members, especially as they are in a position to recommend whether or not their patients get these vaccines. And so we're trying to speak into that area. And, and without getting too complex, I would say that as we analyze the leaders that are part of Operation Warp Speed, we see that number one, all of them are using fetal cells in some capacity but it's at two different levels. There are a couple of vaccines that are using them not only in development, but also in the ongoing production of the vaccine. And that's one of those is the AstraZeneca vaccine and the other is the Johnson and Johnson. And that's especially worrisome to us uh, at CMDA uh, because it's an ongoing utilization of these cell lines versus the examples of Pfizer and Moderna, both of those vaccines simply used the fetal cell lines in development or as a confirmatory step, but they will not be using the, the fetal cells in ongoing production. And uh, for us at CMDA, that is less ethically problematic. And so if everything is equal and, and the safety of the vaccines is the same, if the efficacy of the vaccines is the same, then our recommendation would be that our healthcare professionals consider using either the Pfizer vaccine or the Moderna, depending on how accessible it is to them. And, and one final point I would make is that that above all, CMDA is very much pro-vaccination, pro-immunization. We do want to have people, once these have been approved by the FDA, to go ahead and get their COVID vaccine. So um, one of the things that I've read in just the last day or so, um, in terms of the global distribution, so um, some of these vaccines require extraordinary um, sub-zero temperatures, like extreme refrigeration and two doses. It seems unlikely um, that real global distribution would be possible with those two um, realities. But the AstraZeneca um, vaccine, it sounds to me uh, like it's one dose and it's not, um, and it doesn't require the extreme refrigeration and that the Brits intend to make it available um, to the world. But that's also the one most ethically problematic. And so can you just talk with us a little bit about that? There's, you know, we are obviously here in the United States of America going to get the best of the best. Like that's going to happen because that's that's how this ends up working out. Um, but talk about our responsibility to make the best also somehow available to others. Yeah, that's a very good point. And, and I will say that you're absolutely right. The Pfizer vaccine has to be uh, frozen at minus 94 degrees. Now, the good news is Moderna just has to be kept in a routine freezer. Uh, mm. And you're right also that AstraZeneca uh, doesn't require freezing, but uh, it is a two-dose vaccine. The only one that's going to be a one-dose vaccine is the Johnson & Johnson, which, uh, again, is mm. a little bit more ethically problematic. But you're, you're absolutely right that we need, as, as a country, a developed country in the U.S., to make these vaccines as available as possible around the world. 
And I know that there are also many other countries that are creating vaccines. It isn't just the United States. I think that last I counted, there were about 192 different vaccine candidates worldwide. And of course, we're, we're among the leaders that are getting them out fairly early. But it will be very difficult for Pfizer to get their vaccine out worldwide. They're going to require uh, special units to keep the, the vaccine doses frozen at minus 94. And so that will be very difficult to be used in areas like sub-Saharan Africa, which is going to be so critical to get the vaccine to them because their healthcare systems are not able to cope with the severe, severity of the disease. And so there's a lot uh, greater mortality there. All right. And I'm not necessarily going to ask you to comment on this, but I read a headline this morning that there is at least one uh, person out there with a high enough profile that they got published um, in a major leading newspaper advocating that people be paid to be vaccinated, that the U.S. government pay people uh, $1,500 a person to be vaccinated. And so that might be an ethical conversation for us to have. Um, at a future time, um, uh, because I do want to get to this headline about the United States leading developed nations in maternal deaths. I think this is going to surprise people. Yeah, and I can tell you that as an OBGYN, I know that we are not doing very well with the issue of maternal mortality. And uh, it's very unfortunate. And this was a study that came out uh, just recently, and it was uh, looking at data up through 2018. And uh, the maternal mortality, the way we measure it, is the number of maternal deaths per 100,000 births. And uh, we we rated at 17 per 100,000, which was much greater than several of the countries around the world. For instance, in comparison, you know, the United Kingdom is far less than us. Many other uh, countries are far less than us. And so, uh, and the interesting thing that they found in this study is that a little over half of these deaths happened after childbirth occurs. In other words, in the several days and weeks following, and it might be because of bleeding or infection, high blood pressure, blood clots, various things that might do that. But one of the key findings was that many of these women die after being released from the hospital and perhaps one of the things that we can do to address this issue in the future is to have a greater degree of continuity of care with our patients as they leave the hospital and go home and make sure that we're following up with them and that they are doing well. All right. Uh, we have one listener who has a circling back to the vaccine conversation that I think we should address. Um, and the, the listener is concerned that a DNA, RNA uh, issue arises through the use of a COVID vaccine, that the COVID vaccine will genetically modify uh, me as a person. Can you address that claim? Yeah, I can. I actually uh, asked that question uh, of no less than Dr. Francis Collins, uh, and who is, of course, the uh, one of the originator, uh, developer, and, and investigators that, that, that outlined the human genome. And uh, he's not concerned. Uh, he feels that, first of all, the ones that we've been talking about are RNA viruses. They will not even go into the nucleus of the cell. The DNA uh, vaccines that are yet to be um, put into phase three trials 
uh, they'll go in again to the arm. And so they're actually injected into muscle cells. And so if they do have any impact on the nucleus of the cell, it'll be very localized. It won't be generalized throughout the, the whole body. So I would, I would say that at this point, we're not concerned about that as a problem. As always, thank you so much, Dr. Barrows. You are um, doing a great service to each of us and all of us. I want to encourage the members of the Christian Medical and Dental Association during this season for all that you guys do to care for all of us day in and day out uh, and wish you a happy Thanksgiving. And you as well, uh, Carmen. Great to be with you. Thank you so much. Always great to have you. Thanks. We'll be right back. Why is the life of Jesus worth examining? What are the questions that you have about Jesus that you have been maybe even a little bit afraid to ask? Um, Do you still have unanswered questions? And what's the resonance and even the dissonance in the life of Jesus that makes it lyrical, that makes it sing, that makes it... um, draw us in and up and forward. Those are some of the conversations that songwriter Michael Card has woven into a new devotional called The Nazarene, 40 Devotions on the Lyrical Life of Jesus. Michael Card joins me next. This is Max Licato. People are prone to pecking orders. We love the high horse. They did in the first century. An impassable gulf yawned between Jews and Gentiles in the days of the early church. No Jew would have anything to do with the Gentile. They were unclean, unless that Jew, of course, was Jesus. Suspicions of a new order began to surface because of his curious conversation with a Canaanite woman. Her daughter was dying and her prayer was urgent, yet her ancestry was Gentile. I was only sent to help God's lost sheep, the people of Israel, Jesus told her. That's true, she replied, but even the dogs are allowed to eat the scraps that fall beneath their master's table. So Jesus healed the daughter, and he made his position clear. He was more concerned about bringing everyone in than shutting certain people out. This is Max Lucado. The Nazarene had come to live the life of every man And he felt the fascination of the stars Joining me now, Michael Card. We're going to talk about... Yeah, good morning. We're going to talk about his new devotional work, The Nazarene, 40 Devotions on the Lyrical Life of Jesus. But we could have just listened a little bit longer to the song. Michael, welcome back. Right? Thanks, Carmen. It's, not, it's nice to be back. Yeah, it's nice to have you back. Um, I, uh, I love your music, and I am learning to greatly appreciate you as a teacher and a writer as well. Uh, and so thank you for allowing yourself to continue to grow in the ways in which God is um, revealing himself and then revealing himself through your words and, and art to others. Uh, it's really—I well, deeply appreciate it. Well, I appreciate that encouragement deeply. Um, yeah, I've always seen myself just as a writer, period, whether it's uh, books or music. I've never felt like a songwriter specifically. 
But uh, we, if you're from Nashville, that sort of comes with the territory. <laughs> I am not a songwriter, so there you go. Mm-hmm. We'll just, we can yeah. we can lay that we can just lay that down. That's a truth. Well, there, um, there's nothing wrong with that. Trust me. In fact, in Nashville, <laughs> that's a plus. Not being a songwriter is a plus. <laughs> Here's where I want to start, um, and let me just go ahead and tell people because they're going to want to know. Yes, I have books to give away uh, graciously through our friends over at InterVarsity Press. So, if mm. you want to enter the drawing for the copies of the Nazarene Forty Devotions on the Lyrical Life of Jesus by Michael Card, just text the word "book" to eight seven seven nine three three two four eight four. Okay, so what makes the life of Jesus worth listening to? Hmm. Well, I, I think in some ways it's it's the only life that's, I mean, worth listening to. Um, uh, in our culture, we seem to be preoccupied with listening to our own lives. And when you do that, <laughs> I think we, all you come back with is frustration and, and a certain amount of darkness. But you listen to the life of Jesus and my goodness, everything changes. Um, everything gets redefined. Um, uh, I've I've been following him now for about well, a little over fifty years, and he 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 he's become more interesting and more compelling. I have a, an appreciation for him as an elegant thinker uh, now more than more so than ever. He's just uh, you can't squeeze his life dry. You never get to the bottom of mm. it. Okay, I I don't you just love that. I mean, yeah. the, the world squeezes us so much and people feeling really squeezed right now. And one of the things I'm always encouraging yes. people to do is to soak and saturate their lives with the Word of God so that when we yes. are squeezed, which is going to happen, what will come out is the very Word of God. I think what you mm-hmm. are leading us into um, in this devotion is uh, is aligned with that, and you're, you're just helping us um, move into the life of Jesus in a way that's really— um, really beautiful, and I'm using mm. that word in its most transcendental sense. Um, talk with us about the process of because uh, you move through the Gospels in uh, in this book, the Nazarene. Talk about the importance of not just reading the Gospels, but listening to Jesus in the Gospels um, and seeing him in fresh ways. Well, I I think Carmen, uh, I think American Christians and American Christianity in general is Pauline. You know, most Christians know more about Paul, and they quote his letters, and there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, it's God's Word is perfect, but um, people seem to be woefully uh, ignorant of the details of the life of Jesus. And my goodness, I, uh, again, I, I, I don't, I'm not really interested in anything else at this point. Um, not hard to do, to listen to his life. We have to engage with it. And um, we tend to push out of his life where we live with our brains and make, you know, more academic uh, uh, things out of his life. And I think what the Bible's reaching out to is is both your heart and your and your mind through your imagination. And certainly in Jesus' life and his teaching, the parables, that's what the parables do. They 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 reintegrate you. They they put you his life puts you back together. Um you become a whole person as you listen to who he is and, and what he means and and um and, uh, and I said before, I'm I'm becoming interested really in in um, 
the details, what the details of his life mean. Yeah, when when I think about redemption as a process of being reintegrated, um, and when I feel disintegrated, like, right, when I feel that mm-hmm. I'm broken in the brokenness, like, against which I've broken myself, right? I mean, that's it, mm-hmm. that's sort of the reality of sin. Um, and if I recognize that Jesus is the integration, he is the one who puts it all back together. Um, yeah. I mean, he could deal with Humpty Dumpty if he had been called upon mm-hmm. to do so. Um mm-hmm. Like that's a part of the soil that you're tilling in this conversation, and I it's it's joyful, it's it's literally wonderful. I want to talk about wonder next. I'm talking with Michael Card about the Nazarene, forty devotions on the lyrical life of Jesus. Let me remind you that I do have copies to give away. If you want to enter that drawing, just text the word book to eight seven seven nine three three two four eight four. Um, one of the things that you address in the very opening of the book is the reality of un answerable questions and Mm -hmm. the motivation to ask unanswerable questions because they lead us to wonder. Why is Mm -hmm. the posture of wonder so important? Uh, Well, I I think wonder is, uh, uh, or an experience of wonder indicates that you're really getting it. Um, uh, Bonhoeffer, who's one of my, uh, one of my heroes, talks about the fact that uh, bewilderment, which is related to wonder, bewilderment is true comprehension, Bonhoeffer says. And so I I don't think it's, it's until you're, you're caught up in wonder that you've really gotten it. And again, this is an exercise of the imagination. I can, I can write an outline of the, and I'm doing it right now, the, an outline of the life of Jesus. And here's the nativity and here's you know, the early years and blah, blah, blah. And I can memorize that and know where all the Bible verses are and, and, and have no awe whatsoever. Or, you know, you know what I'm saying? So I think wonder is, is, is an indication that you have in, engaged with your imagination because mm-hmm. then you're just left to say, you know, I have, I have no answers. I have no res- response to this except for, Wow. Hmm. And uh, I think what the world needs to see, I don't think they need to see our theological astuteness and ability to uh, uh, argue with them as much as they need to see that we are in wonder. And and when Jesus returns, uh, you know, New Testament says to, to be wondered at by those who believe. That's one. That's believe me. At one point or another, you're going to be caught up in wonder uh, with Jesus. So why not now? Yeah, that slack jawed awe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And that, All right, it, gonna... and that indicates you're, you're getting it. The truth is, he is awesome. Uh, he's not just, uh, you know, there, there is an awe that comes from looking at, at, at a perfect life. Amen. All right, we're going to talk yeah. about uh, why Jesus is an inspiration for so much art next with Michael Card. The book is The Nazarene, 40 Devotions on the Lyrical Life of Jesus. Uh, I've got copies. If you want to enter the drawing, just text the word book to 877-933-2484. We'll be right back. Continuing my conversation with Michael Card, the book is The Nazarene, 40 Devotions on the Lyrical Life of Jesus. Um, Michael, talk with us about why Jesus is the inspiration for so much art. 
Well, you, I think, uh, gee, that's a big, that's a big question. You know, I'm, I am all about asking you hard questions that other people are not going to ask. <laughs> well, that's my job. I had, an, I had an interview with a guy a couple of weeks ago who, who was an avowed atheist. And it, it, the questions were, explain the Trinity. Uh, yeah. <laughs> sort of thing. So, uh, so, so that's, that's, that's not a, you know, the question you just asked is a good question. Um, uh, and, and you think, you know, just, just start going back. I mean, the Renaissance, all the great art, I mean, the, uh, Pieta, I mean, uh, more, more paintings and songs and oratorios and that sort of things, I think have been written about Jesus life than any, anyone, any one person's life. And there's a reason for that. And the reason is his life has this uh, stunning beauty and, and, but not just beauty. It, he is, uh, he's frustrating. He's, uh, scandalous. He's, uh, beautiful. He, I mean, you know, just pick, pick your adjective. And in some place, uh, in his life, he, he, he embodies that. I mean, there's a place in the gospel where he hurts my feelings. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, the whole, he comes down from the mountain after the transfiguration and they're trying to heal this little boy. I think that they can't heal. And, uh, Jesus says, how much longer do I have to put up with you? And I, every time I read that, I say, Lord, don't you know you really hurt my feelings when you, when you say that? <laughs> so there's this whole range of encouragement and, again, wonder. And who is this man? You know, you, 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 you step into the shoes of, of uh, the disciples and you, you experience these things, a uh, whole range of emotions. And out of that experience comes all kinds of music. Um, I mean, from bluegrass to symphonic music, uh, I would love to have some sort of estimate of how many songs have been written about him. I've written 450 songs, mm. and most of, most of them are about him. And um, I don't know. So there are millions of songs, I'm sure, from little choruses, Jesus Love Me, This I Know, right, into Handel's Messiah, you know, and everything in between. Yeah, so it reminds me of the... Um... Uh, I'm sure not true story um, of the little girl who is lost and she's there, she's found sitting singing the ABCs and they ask her mm-hmm. why she was singing that and she said because I knew God knew how to put the letters together into words. So wow. I, I mean I think that there are songs that are sung that seemingly have nothing to do with Jesus that are mm-hmm. that are for and to Him as well. It's um yeah it's probably an inestimable inestimable number. All right, what does it mean mm-hmm. for something to ring true? Hmm. Well, resonance is a is a, a big category for me, and I think what happens is, uh, and resonance happens everywhere. Um, you know, every point in space has a resonant frequency. When you're in the stairwell, and you sing, if you're the kind of person that sings in stairwells, sometimes you'll hit a particular note, and that spot just starts to echo and and it jumps out as being louder and that sort of thing that's you've hit the resonant frequency of that place so resonance is a big is a big thing and i think our hearts resonate um you know if you're if you're uh, if you're married you know that first time you saw your spouse something in your heart just said okay i was i've been tuned you know i am tuned to appreciate mm-hmm. and love this person that sort of thing well how much infinitely more uh, in regards to the life of Jesus, do we resonate you, you, um, and, and I mean, that's part of the lyricism of his life and that's part of the song business. And, um, 
I can remember I was eight years old and the first time he was explained to me, um, my heart just, my heart resonated. And the, the pastor said, uh, okay, Mike, do you want to ask Jesus into your heart? Which was the language in our church. I said, brother Hopkins, I think he's already asked me into his heart. Hmm. That was my, that was my experience. And, and the, the fact that uh, makes me cry to talk about, um, the fact that he had extended himself to me and invited me and made my heart. I mean, how much more can your heart resonate? What else is there to resonate to? But this extravagant love that he has extended to, to us, his sacrifice, most especially, I stand before the cross of Jesus and I say, I have no right to expect anything from you. I nailed you there. And his response is to give me everything, to give me himself, to give me new life, you know, and to make my heart resonate. The discordant strains, um, which you've just alluded to right there, right? Like the the nails being driven into the cross through the hands and the feet of Christ is a discordant strain for sure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Talk about um, talk about how the discordant strains help us hear and see and appreciate the lyrical life of Jesus. Well, you know, there was not there was nothing more wrong than the crucifixion of Jesus. I mean, it. In fact, there's this odd teaching now through the church. They're trying to dismantle the meaning to me, the meaning of the cross, and they're teaching things like, "Oh, God would never abandon His Son on the cross." And I, I think, have you not read? Have you not read your Bible? What is the price for sin? It was God looking away. Oh no, God would never look away from Jesus. I said, well, hold up. That's that was the price that was paid for our sin. And it's this, it's the most enormous discord. I think the sun refusing to, you know, the, you know, the sun went out or, mm-hmm. you know, uh, and, and the astronomers, because it was so close to Passover, we know it wasn't an eclipse. It can't be eclipsed. Okay. Um, so there was something happened and it, there, the, the discord went out through the universe because the, the one who created the universe, uh, this Im- impossibility of all impossibilities happens, and God died. That can't be, right? But, you know, if you take the Trinity seriously, that's in essence what happened. And if, if something so cataclysmic, you know, on every scale happens, yeah, there are earthquakes, you know, and mm-hmm. the sun stops shining. And um, and then to backstep and r- r- try to rationalize that away, I think, is a is an, an enormous uh, disservice to the truth of the Bible. Jesus paid for the sins of the world on that on that cross. And uh, what uh, we'll never understand the depth of what what that transaction meant. But well, I can tell you what it what it does mean. You can be forgiven. Mm-hmm. You know, you can be forgiven. Um, he, he paid the debt even for the sins of other new kind of, I think it's a new teaching. Maybe, maybe not. Um, he, he only died for the sins of people that would accept him because it makes no sense that he would die for the sins of people who wouldn't accept him. And so there's sort of this pre, everything kind of pre-decided. Uh, I know that's a theological position because I went to a church where that was their, that was their position. Mm-hmm. And I always said, no, he, he, you know, Everyone can be forgiven because everyone is forgiven. He has he has extended forgiveness to everyone. Now, you can refuse that. 
Absolutely. And mm-hmm. but but the but the point is provision has been made for your sin. You have been he loves you so much he died for you. And how can you not respond to that? Amen. How can Amen. you say no to that? Amen. Let us say yes to that and let our yes, yes. be yes, yes, yes. Um yes. Michael Card, what a joy, what a delight. It is always a heart feast uh to talk with you. <laughs> um thank you for the gift of the conversation and the gift wow. of the book, the gift of your music. Um, let me just remind our listeners, the book is The Nazarene, 40 Devotions on the Lyrical Life of Jesus. I've got copies. Text the word book to 877-933-2484. Visit Michael Card online at michaelcard.com. Michael, happy Thanksgiving and Merry Christmas. Thank you so much. Thanks, Carl. What a blessing. We'll be right back. So that we might be born again. that we've got today. Um, Blessings upon you. Know that God loves you. If you get nothing else out of this morning, get that. God loves you, and he's done everything necessary for your salvation. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at myfaithradio.com.